I'm on the trail of Francis Hodgson Burnett's secret garden, and I think I might have found one of my own. There's half-hearted traces of human intervention, a grown-over path, an abandoned leather stool, but largely, it feels like a place where nature gets to call the shots. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris with Yoshi Herman, the editor of The Mill, Manchester's quality newspaper delivered by email. And Yoshi, welcome back. Thanks very much. Nice break. Lovely break. I believe you took a typewriter to Albania. Very romantic. I actually bought one. I bought oh, another one. Oh, did you one. buy one? So I've now got seven. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I went into an antique shop in Tirana, the capital of Albania. Wow. And they had a German typewriter um, that was made in the 70s. And I'm actually doing some German lessons at the moment, so I thought... Need some umlauts on that keyboard. Wow. So, yeah, I've now got that. This is incredibly Hemingway. I like it a lot. Uh, OK, well, welcome back. You were missed, although it did do quite well in your absence. Well, yeah, it sounded very good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to speak to Sophie, aren't we, Yoshi, who you sent into Buell Hill Park. Yeah, this has turned into one of our most popular weekend reads that we've ever done. Oh, wow. It, it really struck a chord, this idea of like finding the secret garden, and was it inspired by a, a garden in Salford? I won't want to ruin what Sophie's going to talk about, but it's a lovely story. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Really, really interesting. Okay, uh, we'll get to that shortly. We'll hear from Sophie on the Manchester Weekly in a little while. Firstly, to our news briefing, everything you need to know this week. Uh, today, as we publish, is Election Day in Greater Manchester. Uh, we'll be back over the weekend, by the way. We'll be back in your podcast feed on... On Sunday with some analysis of the results of the local elections in and around Greater Manchester. But Yoshi, for now, some really significant stories around Greater Manchester. Yeah, the significance of Greater Manchester in these elections is that in recent years, the Tories have been making gains in traditional Labour areas. They've taken constituencies at the last general election. They've picked up council seats. And effectively, that sort of momentum is now, in a sense, has a sort of countervailing force to it, which is that Labour is doing better in the national polls. Partygate has obviously hurt the Conservatives' brand. I think the cost of living crisis is a really big problem for the government as well, even though it may not be of their making, as seen by many voters as, as not doing enough about it. Greater Manchester has councils like Bury where Labour has been in control and where they are worried about losing control because it is an all-outs election, i.e. in that in, in Bury all the council seats are up. We've also got a council like Bolton, which is um, run by the Tories, even though they have a minority administration there. And that's one where Labour is looking to pick up seats. You've got a place on a knife edge like Stockport, where there's a Labour administration, even though Lib Dems have one seat more. And there you've got lots of sort of tight marginals between the Conservatives and the Lib Dems in sort of more affluent and, and rural wards. So in a sense... National commentators will be looking at the kind of councils we have in Greater Manchester as a sign of whether Labour is really going to be able to pick up some of these red wall constituencies at the next election. And I also think we have areas here where Labour is not sort of sounding as optimistic as it should be given its national polling. 
Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And, and by the way, I know I, I, say, I seem to say this every week when we talk about elections, Yoshi, but I cannot recommend your reporting from Oldham enough. A fascinating story, loads of incredible characters from an election, uh, the last election, wasn't it, where Sean Fielding, the council leader, lost his seat. Uh, some conspiracy theories, misinformation, local independent groups and an established figure being toppled all in there. Like a Greek tragedy, wasn't it, uh, in a sense. And you can read that at manchestermill.co.uk. Speaking of local issues, uh, Yoshi, Rosso, the bus company, a name that we're quite used to seeing flying around our streets, are going to be flying around our streets a lot less. Yeah, they've had 800 cancelled services in one week, which means a lot of people, particularly around Bury, Bolton, Oldham, have not been able to get the bus services that they want. There was some good reporting on this by the transport correspondent at the MEN, who has been asking sort of which routes are you cancelling, which routes are you going to be cancelling next week. The bus company Rosso says it is because of staff shortages that they are having to cancel routes. But I think the concerning thing here is that it's not just their regular commercial routes that they're cancelling, it's also what what are called subsidised routes. That's where government money is going in to make sure a route continues where maybe it's not commercially viable. What that means is often those routes routes go to council estates and poorer areas where people are really reliant on those services. And I think the fact that those are also getting cancelled in this shows that there's a real, real problem. And and Transport for Greater Manchester says, you know, we're working with the company here to, to try and keep as many services going as possible. And what does that mean, Yoshi, for their chances? Andy Burnham taking back control and those contracts are going to be renegotiated, aren't they? What, what, I mean, what does this, how does this board? Well, in a franchising model, all these companies will need to bid for franchises. The current deregulated model where anyone can just run a bus service whenever they want, that'll be gone. So clearly it's not going to be in Rosso's favour that they're cancelling so many services. I suspect that there'll be some sympathy from the authorities because obviously, you know, staff shortages are as they are. And that's happening across the economy in lots of different sectors, particularly low-wage jobs. But it will be interesting to see which companies get the franchises when they come up. Because one of the big problems of deregulated buses has been you get these monopoly situations where certain companies, we can probably think of their names, because they own the depots, because they have a lot of market power, they have been able to dominate the local bus system. Uh, That won't be the case anymore in the future systems. We'll see where Rosso and the other companies fit in. Okay. Uh, Speaking of some of the the sort of Greater Manchester political landscape, Yoshi and the Red Wall and the shifts in it back and forth one of the key bricks in that red wall is Lee within Lee an independent cinema that is looking for its legs there's a lot of support around this cinema taking up residency in an old factory isn't there this looks lovely what's this about this is a 100-year-old industrial mill, which is called Spinner's Mill in Lee. And there's a sort of momentum growing around the idea of having a cinema there. It's been backed by actors like Christopher Eccleston and, and Matthew McNulty. And the idea is to have a sort of hub in Lee, which can, which can have lots of different films, but also events and films about film, festivals dedicated to film, all that kind of thing, and to bring this very old uh, mill back into use. And as one of the organisers said, you know, people don't have to go to Manchester or Liverpool, they can come to Lee and see high-end films. So that's that's um, progressing. I used to be a patron of uh, the Turnpike, which is an art gallery and art centre in Lee. Lee is a little, it's a little cultural nugget in Greater Manchester, you know? You underestimate it, I think, a lot of people, actually. 
And it's also one of those places that I think like the sort of left behind narrative emerged after the last general election and this idea that like too much resource goes into the big cities, too much resource goes into Manchester and Liverpool and not enough into local towns like Lee. So nice to see this kind of cultural initiative taking off. And by the way, you've got that bus thing, right? Speaking of buses as well, there's that bus service, isn't it, that goes straight to Lee from Manchester. That's sort of what a weird track, isn't it? Sort of like part bus, part train that takes you straight into Lee. So there is, there's no excuse. It's easy to get to. It's, it feels sort of geographic it's a bit, in a bit of an odd place but they've actually made it really easy to get to loads going on easy to get there absolutely no excuse Yoshi for now thank you now even in these wet early days of May it can feel like they have a thawing effect on the soul can't they in Francis Hodgson Burnett's book The Secret Garden the main protagonist Mary describes spring to somebody who hasn't been outdoors for years as this is a brilliant quote says it is the sun shining on the rain and the rain falling on the sunshine and things pushing up and working under the earth well the mill sophie atkinson makes it a regular spring reread the secret garden it's a children's book actually but she says that it's also in her piece for the mill this week a potent antidepressant and a reminder of the joy of the northern countryside it's about the ways the seeming greyness of england conceals a beauty only visible to the attentive Beautiful. Well, the attentive may have also noted that Francis Hodgson Burnett is believed to have pulled some of her inspiration for The Secret Garden from a park that she spent time in in Salford, Buell Hill Park, to be precise. Well, Sophie followed in her footsteps to smell the grass and feel the spring sun on her face in Buell Hill Park and joins us on the Manchester Weekly now. Sophie, hi. Hi, Daryl. How's it going? Really well. I loved your piece. It's really brilliant. You loved this book as well, don't you, The Secret Garden? <laughs> I absolutely do. Though I can't claim that I've done the reread forever. The reread dates back to my late 20s when I was living in Berlin. I've been there a few years. I started to feel a bit homesick. But instead of what you might expect, that I just simply feel homesick for Manchester, where I'm from, um, I found it manifesting in a weird way. I found myself feeling homesick for the northern countryside, which I think my parents will laugh if they listen to this podcast because they would always have to drag me and screaming on hikes as a child and then as a teenager. So I would end up, every spring in Berlin, I'd end up um, rereading The Secret Garden, almost just to take the edge off of that homesickness. The Mill's new intern, Alex, stepped up to read some of The Secret Garden. Let's immerse ourselves into it and hear a little bit. The seeds Dickon and Mary had planted grew as if flowers had tended them. Satiny poppies of all tints danced in the breeze by the score, gaily defying flowers which had lived in the garden for years, and which it might be confessed seemed rather to wonder how such new people had got there. And the roses, rising out of the grass, tangled around the sundial, wreathing the tree trunks and hanging from their branches, climbing up the walls and spreading over them with their long garlands falling in cascades. They came alive day by day, hour by hour. Fair fresh leaves and buds, tiny at first but swelling and working magic until they burst and uncurled into cups of scent, delicately spilling themselves over their brims and filling the garden air. It's just such a beautiful book. Have you read it yourself? Um, I haven't read it cover to cover, but it's one of those books that you sort of, I think because of the film and its place in popular culture, you sort of know it, don't you? You kind of you kind of know it and you feel it, even though you haven't necessarily read it cover to cover in the way that you have, Sophie, every year. Um, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Francis Hodgson Burnett's connection to Salford as well, because this is really interesting. 
Yeah, so this is funny because obviously I've been doing these rereads and I I mean, I just didn't even know that Francis Hodgson Burnett was even from Manchester. It is funny how this city sort of really aggressively claims some writers as its own <laughs> All and then of them. sort of leaves others up for grabs. I guess like <laughs> Francis Hodgson Burnett has quite a complicated life story because she moves to America in her late teens. But yeah, so I did a little Google this year because I am driving for the first time in like 10 years again and I figured, okay, the secret garden has to be probably has to be in the north maybe i'll do a little road trip so the garden it's mostly associated with is the one in kent but then in the introduction to this collected works of her novels said that she had gone to this park in Salford as a child and that she'd spent time in bull hill mansion when she was writing the novel yeah, so that was a little bit ambiguous. Well, here's the line. Much of the novel was written at Bull Hill Park in Pendleton, in brackets, Salford. Um, and I found that really surprising because I guess when I think of Salford, you don't really think of like uh, mysterious gardens, do you? You think of high rises. Mm. Though I guess, obviously, the book came out in, I think, 1911. So obviously, Edwardian Salford, I'm sure, would have been much leafier. That's very interesting, isn't it? And, and, and when you put it like that, that she stared at that mansion and she will have been surrounded by Buell Hill Park, presumably as was, inevitably it would have fed into her inspiration, wouldn't it? So you went to Buell Hill Park, Sophie, to try to sort of find some of that inspiration that Francis Hodgson Burdick would have felt. And um, did you? <laughs> so it was funny because I felt like my experience actually mirrored um, a pattern in the novel itself. So the novel has this pattern of like um, initial disappointment followed by a sort of surprise and joy. So you see that it's really interesting because there's this mirroring in the novel between how Mary perceives the land like Yorkshire and how she initially perceives the characters in Yorkshire. So in both cases, she finds both the land and the people around her quite cold and forbidding and then uh, later sort of uncovers this hidden beauty to both the landscape and the people. And I mean, I don't know that I had as dramatic a sort of disappointment and then joy, but I got there and yeah, I didn't realise that the mansion was, was going to be shut. Um, and it's such a beautiful building and I was really looking forward to getting in there and then I just couldn't find a way in and yeah, it turned out to be um, closed to the public. And was really enjoying the park but also felt a certain disappointment because it obviously wasn't the secret garden like um i think i say in the piece the secret garden itself is characterized by being sort of wild and tangled and untouched and yeah the gardens around buell hill mansion mostly are quite sort of manicured and tidy and so i felt this little slight disconnect and yeah, I was kind of like, okay, I don't entirely see, I don't entirely have that spirit of the secret garden here. And then on the way back to the bus stop, just happened to uh, be on the opposite side of the road to the way I came. I just walked past it, this iron gate that was half open. And I looked down at uh, Google Maps and there was there was no nothing there, no, no sign of greenery. But I could see that there were all these trees, almost a sort of small patch of woodland. And so I went in through this this unsignposted iron gate and I just find myself in effectively what feels like the walled garden in the secret garden and it feels like you know nobody's been there for years and you know you can hear animals kind of moving through the undergrowth and the bird songs much louder there and I just had this moment of yeah almost felt like kismet which sounds quite soppy but 
yeah, it was just kind of magical because it was like the novel itself. And so I feel like I really won the journalism lottery that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's really nice, especially the way that it sort of mirrors that that journey that exists in the book as well. And you know, I guess there's I mean there's a couple of there's a couple of morals of this story, isn't there, Sophie, I suppose. Number one Buell Hill Park needs a bit of work, okay? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw that out there. I used to live right by Buell, Buell Hill Park. I used to walk the dog there. And, yeah, when, when I sort of, when, when I led into reading your piece about uh, this the sort of romance of, the romance of the connection to the Secret Garden, I thought there's absolutely nothing in Buell Hill Park uh, that, will, um, that will spark any kind of inspiration for that, not least the crumbling nature of the mansion. Hopefully that gets back on its feet again and, you know, I'm a, chill, a cheerleader for it. There are, there's a local group, actually, isn't there, who are trying to um, bring breathe some life back into the park and the mansion. But also the fact, Sophie, that, you know, if you are attentive, right, if you're attentive, you will find wonderful bits of exciting, new, fruitful nature. And that's really good for you. Absolutely. And I think that's a rule that holds true for most of life. Like, yeah, you get so much more out of it if you are attentive. But sometimes it can be hard to remain attentive and present in situations that do feel a bit grey and dreary. And I guess that's the entire point of the book is to sort of, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, see the course? Steer the course? <laughs> what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, to uh, hold the course and um, be present and observe the people and the places around you mm. but yeah no it was it was an interesting piece to write because I'm personally I wouldn't say I'm the biggest nature person on the Mills team my colleague Danny Cole absolutely loves nature and writing about nature so I didn't necessarily think that I was going to be an intuitive fit for the story even though I do love this novel but yeah it is kind of magical how nourishing nature can feel or rejuvenating yeah mm. I'm, I'm not somebody who's very soppy about nature but um i definitely felt it on that day it really felt like the first beautiful day of spring and um yeah hopefully we'll see some more nice spring days because it's been a bit drizzly ever since it sure has okay okay sophie the action points for us this week are get out into greater manchester's secret gardens be rejuvenated by nature that greater manchester has to offer and to do a spring reread of the secret garden and maybe maybe <laughs> Make it an annual occasion, an annual appointment <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with the Secret plan. Garden. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know. Uh, Sophie, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Yoshi, what's coming up? We've got lots of election coverage coming up, obviously, after these local elections. So look out for a few newsletters about those. And obviously, we'll have our weekend podcast. We've also got a lovely piece coming out by Jack Delhansey next weekend about going back to the place where he wrote his first ever mill story about yeah. the decline of the willow tip bird and um, local efforts to create new corridors for this kind of bird. Um, so a really nice conservation story and a kind of like a year on from when Jack Delhansey first wrote for us. Oh, I love that. And a nod for something to do in Greater Manchester this week, Yoshi. What's on your radar? Well, there's a there's an exhibition running at 150 different Metrolinx tram stops throughout May. Um, there's also a, a bigger version of it at St Peter's Square, and it is um, a photography exhibition featuring portraits of domestic abuse survivors. It's um, the work of a local photographer called Ali Crew. It actually received a visit from the Duchess of Cornwall uh, recently. So I think people will see those dotted around Greater Manchester. But if you want to this weekend check out some of the the main um, portraits, they are on St Peter's 
Leicester Square. Good stuff. And uh, my nod for the week ahead from the Royal Northern College of Music on Oxford Road. Next Wednesday, they are hosting a performance called Hidden Live, which is kind of an immersive performance which puts you into the mind of a young person struggling with mental health. Looks really good, really challenging, actually. And it's also um, a multimedia theatre piece. So it's a Royal Northern College of Music leaning into kind of tech and um, and using technology to, to sort of bring their pieces to life. Looks really, really interesting. I think, you know, whatever it is, just the experience of being part of something so immersive in itself looks like it's really worth checking out. That's next Wednesday, the Royal Northern College of Music. That's it from us for this week. Don't forget, we are back in your podcast feed on Sunday with all our election analysis. Lots and lots of big stories from across Greater Manchester coming and bubbling to the surface in the next couple of days. We'll find out what you think over the course of the weekend. We'll be in your podcast feed on Sunday with that. Don't forget to subscribe uh, and comment and like this podcast as well. It'll help other people find it and more news, in-depth stories and analysis from the election at manchestermill.co.uk. 